Welcome to City Church Life on Life, Lesson 5. Today we're going to look at the main hinge on which true Christianity turns. At City Church, we are gospel-centered, which means everything we do flows out of the gospel. But even if we get started on the right track, we can slip into a subtle trap. We can start to base our standing before God and our assurance of His love not on His once and for all verdict in Christ, but on our own ongoing inconsistent performance. As a result, our life is not anchored. We lack confidence because our assurance falls back onto relying on our own performance. And this leads to either pride or despair. It leaves us exhausted because we have to keep running and we can never rest because the race to tell our hearts that we've done enough never feels finished. When Jesus promises rest for our souls, is He just talking about when we die? No, we need an anchor that we can keep going back to day after day to root our lives in what God has already done for us. The Bible's word for that anchor is justification. The word plays a pivotal role in several of Paul's letters, but let's just focus on his letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, where Paul introduces the word. What is justification? The term is central to understanding our faith. Martin Luther calls it uh, the main article by which the church stands or falls. And J.I. Packer said, Justification by faith is the heart and hub of the whole economy of God's saving grace. If we would ever come to rest in God, this word has to pop in our hearts and minds. But we must hear it in its context. In Galatians 2, Paul is telling a story about him and Peter and is using this story to illustrate the truth of the gospel, that's his phrase, for his readers who are facing their own version of a similar confusion. Well, here's the story. Peter had come to the city of Antioch and he was at first eating... Uh, Gentile food at the Gentile table. Non-kosher food, that is. But when certain people showed up, whose opinion of him was very important to Peter, when they show up, Peter gets up. He gets up from the lunch table. Now, this may sound strange, but remember, to the Jewish mind, food wasn't just whom you ate with. Whom you ate with and what you ate was central to the Jewish sense of identity as God's chosen people. Paul doesn't see, simply see Peter's actions as bad manners, nor does he call Peter out on his racism, which on the surface is the issue. Rather, he digs deeper to lay bare the spiritual roots underneath the surface problem. Listen to how he puts it in Galatians 2 verse 14. When I saw their conduct was not in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, it's Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The key phrase is in step with the truth of the gospel, that for Paul, the gospel has a trajectory, a way of life. Notice Paul doesn't shame Peter for his racism. He calls him back to the trajectory of the truth of the gospel that Peter's forgotten in this particular instance. In effect, Paul's telling Peter, Peter, we know the gospel. We know that God has accepted us by the grace of Christ alone. We know God didn't fellowship with us on the basis of our race or culture. 
So how dare you turn around and make race and culture the basis of your fellowship with others? Most English translations have Paul's speech to Peter ending in verse 14, but some scholars believe it extends all the way to the end of chapter 2, or at least to the end of verse 16. After verbally striking Peter in the face in verse 14, Paul, you could say, puts his arm around Peter's shoulder in verse 15 and says, We ourselves, who are Jews by birth, we know. He's saying, Peter, come on, we know this. And here's the key line, verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. That's verse 16. It's not just the key to the letter to the Galatians. You could argue it's the key to getting the gospel. Three times in verse 16, Paul mentions this word, justified. It's a term taken from the law courts. It's a legal term that has to do with a person on trial. To justify means to declare of a person on trial that he is not liable to penalty. It is the exact opposite of condemnation. It means not guilty, acquitted. But justified is an even stronger word than acquittal. Justified not only means not guilty, it means entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. It is a once and for all declaration of forgiveness plus acceptance. That's justification. How can a human being be declared innocent and acceptable in God's sight given the facts of the case? It would be one thing if we were unfairly charged, if we were innocent. Then we would call for justice to be done. But given the facts, given that our master has required total obedience from us to love God and love our neighbors of ourselves, given that we can't even get through one part of one day doing this, how can we be declared both innocent and accepted in God's sight? Well, Paul says in verse 16, we know a person is not justified by works of the law. In other words, we know it's not by works of the law. It can't be that. What are works of the law? In context, the issue was requiring circumcision and keeping kosher to be part of God's people. Those were the works of the law. But works of the law has to do with our whole stance toward God. They address an underlying assumption that surely some work is required to justify our lives. Surely we need to do something to be accepted, to merit our acquittal. That if we try and do our best, if the good outweighs the bad, surely God will accept us. Now if you go back and read stories throughout history of, of people coming to faith, there's usually a recurring question how can a sinful human being like me stand before a holy God? But that's not the way many people ask the question today. But I want you to see the underlying concern remains. There still remains a deep-seated need for all of us to justify ourselves. Even the English word justify resonates. We each have this deep need to justify our existence. If you think that doesn't apply to you, try going one whole day without justifying yourself or explaining yourself in any way, and you'll see that we are relentless self-justifiers. Maybe it has to do with how we come to terms with our past and the guilt we feel. How can I atone for the mistakes I've made? Well, that's a question about justification. Maybe it has to do with our insecurity for feeling like we're not enough or never, we'll never be enough. That's a question about our justification. 
How can I be beautiful after what I've done? That's the question about justification. An alcoholic drinking himself to death, a woman with an eating disorder, those are people dealing with questions about justification. Even a young person who works 80, 100 hours a week is asking a question about justification because in our own way, we're all seeking to justify ourselves. Some of us are seeking to justify ourselves through being good, admirable, respectable people. But God says the justification we all seek, whether it's as religious people trying to justify ourselves through keeping the rules, or as irreligious people who seek to justify ourselves through following our own rules. Either way, Paul puts his arm around our shoulders and says, come on, we know a person is not justified by works. Paul is taking this legal word and he's applying it to our relationship with God. But again, I want you to see this ancient letter speaks very much to our modern day concerns. It's saying to all of us, you cannot justify your existence by what you do. No accomplishment can secure it. But that also means no forfeit. No failure can forfeit it. And to tell our achievement-obsessed, individually-focused culture that our justification cannot come through our individual doing. One writer put it, to hear that, quote, must be felt as a wound. To turn, to turn the point of his, uh, to turn his point deeper, Paul continues in verse 16, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And he repeats, in case you missed it for the third time, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. See, so he keeps repeating it. Then having demolished any other foundation, Paul announces the gospel in verse 16 that the justification we seek only comes, quote, through faith in Jesus Christ. So to our answer, how can I be declared not only innocent, but accepted in God's sight, given the facts of the case? And Paul's answer is, by faith in Christ alone. That is the answer to our question. What justifies my life? Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ plus nothing. Now this sounds simple to us. And we might think those foolish Galatians thinking that circumcision or keeping kosher somehow needed to be added to Christ to secure their place as God's people. How could they be so foolish? But don't we do some of the same things? Don't we wear ourselves out trying to add something to Jesus to validate our lives? Jesus plus having good kids or being financially independent. Jesus plus having a successful career. Jesus plus, maybe it's Jesus plus our own best sincere efforts to follow Jesus. And don't you see how different the gospel is from what most people in, in most churches think? It doesn't mean believe in Jesus, get saved, and then try to do your best. That's what a lot of people think. Yes, Jesus, but also now obey the law, keep the rules, dress this way, do this, don't do that. That you start by grace, but if you're going to grow, it's, it's completely up to you. 
See, it, it may use some of the right words, but it is not a message that sets us free. The fact of the matter is, when you add anything to Jesus to justify your life, you don't just amend the gospel, you lose the gospel. When we add anything to Jesus, we lose the gospel. But we do this all the time. We do exactly what the rival teachers in Galatia were doing. See, they believed in Jesus. They said, okay, Jesus, he's God's son. He died on the cross, yes. But there's something else you need. You need Jesus plus circumcision. And you see how subtle this is. See, it was that then. That's what the rival teachers were saying to the churches in Galatia. Um, but that, that God's people, yes, needed faith in Christ, but they also needed to keep the works of the law. It sounds crazy to us, but we do the same thing. Yes, Jesus, but, well, you also need to be baptized as an adult by immersion. Yes, Jesus, or, but you also need to be Republican or, or you need to be woke. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but my heart really needs something else. It needs something more to tell me that I'm okay, to tell me that I'm significant, to tell me that I can finally rest. And don't you see that almost underneath everything we do remains this question, how can I justify myself? Justification is not an obscure 2,000-year-old biblical term. It is an enduring human question. How can I, as a human being, be declared forgiven and accepted by God given the facts of the case? And the gospel's answer to our agonizing question is, by faith in Christ alone. Because of Jesus Christ, God has acquitted you. There is no more condemnation, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's half of justification, the forgiveness of our sins. See, justification has two halves. The first half is the forgiveness of our sins, but justification also has a second half, and I dare say it's a better half. It's being given a record which gives us confidence to stand before God as accepted. And the Bible's word for this confidence is righteousness, which I'll get to in just a moment. Justification means not only that your slate is wiped clean. See, if you owe a giant debt and your debt is paid, your balance is zero. But the Bible doesn't call us zeros. It calls us beloved children of God. That in a marvelous exchange, the innocent Christ, 2 Corinthians puts it, Christ became our sin, that he took all of our sins into his own life. And on the cross, he stood in our place and paid our debt. By his wounds, we have been declared forgiven in God's sight. But we're not just forgiven, we're healed. We're accepted as the perfect obedience of Christ is credited to our lives. See, Jesus got our sin and we got his righteousness. We got his perfect record placed onto our lives. And why would God do this? Because this is who God is. This is how good God is and how much he wants us to be reconciled to him. That he gives this gift. And how do we lay hold of this gift? By faith alone. Faith is how we grab hold of God's gift. That's justification by faith. It is a once and for all declaration, a once and for all binding verdict. 
it says, you are forgiven, you are accepted. And you say, wait a minute, I'm still me and I still seem like a mess. Well, yes and no. I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. Paul puts it a few verses later, Galatians 2, verse 20, and we'll get to that in our groups this week. But this marvelous exchange is so unbelievable to us that it becomes easy to lose our grasp of it. It slips out of our hands. In Galatia, even Paul lost sight of it. Even Barnabas, Galatians 2.13 says, even Barnabas was led astray. And if those two who were pillars of the early church, if they could be led astray, how much more susceptible are we? How much more do we need to be brought back to the truth of the gospel of God's justifying grace again and again? Justification, you see, applies to everything. It, it, it applies to how we handle failure. It applies to how we handle success, how we handle criticism, how we handle praise. All these things are issues of justification because so much of what we do, we're trying to justify and, and validate ourselves. We're trying to show ourselves approved. And that brings us to this other word Paul uses in Galatians 2 and verse 21, righteousness. He closes his argument and says, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now you might think that's an old-fashioned religious-sounding word as well that has nothing to do with your life. Well, what is righteousness? Today that word has negative overtones, holier than thou. But in its original context, righteousness had to do with conformity to God's will and character. When applied to human beings, it had to do with a way of living that reflects God's will and reflects His character. It's living in such a way that reflects your created purpose, living a life that reflects your maker. That's righteousness. But it's not simply an ethical word. It also has to do with right relationship. So you could say in the Bible, to be righteous is to be right with someone because you are confident that you've got the record to be approved. If you pay your phone bill, you are right with Verizon because you are confident that you've got the record to be approved. And just like justification, you see, righteousness is an enduring human need, that we all have a desire to be righteous. We want to live in confidence that we have the record to be approved. That's why we're so concerned about what other people think of us. This is what Genesis says Adam and Eve lost when they disobeyed God. They immediately sensed something was not right. They became self-conscious. Their eyes were open and they knew they were naked and ashamed. It's the Bible's way of saying they, they knew something was awry. And ever since, all of us likewise have this ingrained sense of I'm, something's wrong. I'm not quite right. It, it's like uh, Martin Scorsese uh, never watches his own movies. He can't stand to see the imperfections. And why can't he look at his films? Because Martin Scorsese is like us. We want to be right. And, and it pains us uh, to see where we've been wrong. And where does that leave us? It leaves us with, with what you could call righteousness construction projects. Righteousness construction projects. or that, That's what our whole lives are. It leaves us trying to establish our own record, our own righteousness through the lives we, we lead. Look at my work. Look at my kids. It's why men especially, we tend to put so much a weight in our work to prove our worth. 
But it's not just men. We all want to build our record to show ourselves approved, to give us the confidence that we have the record to stand. We all want that confidence of knowing we are approved. We all want this. We all want righteousness. But if righteousness means to be in right relationship with God because you are confident that you have the record to be included, where could we possibly get that confidence? I mean, how can we say we have the record to stand approved before God? Where can righteousness be found? Because only one person has the record to be approved in God's sight. Only one could approach the throne of God with confidence. Only Jesus, only the Son of God. Now you might ask, how can what belongs to Him alone become ours? Only through faith. Only through faith in Christ can we find the righteousness that we crave. To try and add to it is not just to distort the gospel, but it is to lose it. The 16th century Martin Luther summed it up well. There is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. He concludes, if you don't build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. See, it's either or. Do you see these represent two different stances towards life? One builds confidence on ourselves. The other builds confidence on the work of Christ, with which we're utterly passive. That's why theologians have called it passive righteousness, because it's, it's outside of us. It has, it has nothing to do with, with what we do. That's why theologians sometimes call it alien righteousness. It's outside of us. Now, how different our lives would be if we could just rest in the truth, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. We sing that, but do we believe it? If we could believe, I don't have to keep running so furiously. What am I running for? The race is over. The Bible is this wonderful leveler. It says we may look different, but underneath we're all just singing different versions of the same tune. We're all trying to justify our lives. We're all, we're all trying to show ourselves approved. But where's that confidence going to come from? As long as that confidence is in ourselves, no matter how successful we are, we can never rest. Where is that confidence going to come from? Is it, is it going to come in your work or is it going to come in Christ's work? See, what are you using instead of Jesus to give you the confidence that you have the record to stand approved? Are you still trying to add to Jesus? See, in Galatia, they believed in Jesus, but they were trusting in circumcision. Today, what are you resting in to give you the confidence that you have the record to stand? Isn't it so sad that so many of us are tossed to and fro, chronically insecure, up when we're doing well, down where we failed or not done as well as we'd hoped? You know what we need? We need an anchor. We need justification. We need to be reminded again and again, you are declared once and for all, acquitted, but not just acquitted, accepted. But we also need the anchor that we are righteous, that we have the record to stand approved. That's the righteousness of God received by faith that no longer places confidence in our work, but in Christ's work, in Christ's finished, perfect, and complete work. Now, we're almost done, but here's the key question. What is the difference between these two words, justification and righteousness? 
These two human longings, what's the difference between these words? Did you know they are the same word in Greek? Have you ever heard that? In English, there are two different words, but different but related meanings. But in the Bible, they're the same word. So that anywhere you see justification, you could translate it righteousness and vice versa. It's this big, wonderful word that addresses these two basic core motivations of our lives because we all have this profound need to be justified and we all have this profound need to be righteousness. And here is the wonderful truth of the gospel, that there is only one name under heaven by which this need can be satisfied, only in Christ, in Christ alone, and only by faith in Christ alone. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. See, if righteousness means conformity to God's will and character, then what does it mean to say God is righteous? Is, is righteous? It's not simply saying that God is holy. It's saying that God always does what is in keeping with His character, that God is always true to Himself. He's always faithful to His promises. And how can God be faithful to His promise to be our God when we are so sinful and unfaithful? How can God be faithful to unfaithful people? How can God be true to His holy and gracious character given the facts of the case, given who we are? Don't you see that's really the, the question of the entire Old Testament? But here is the gospel. In Christ, God came down and put Himself on the cross. He satisfied Himself by substituting Himself to justify our lives, to declare the guilty innocent, and to give us a righteous record by standing for us in our place. And why would God do this for us? Because He is the righteous God. He is true to His own character. I am who I am, He said to Moses. And Jesus shows us above all who God is. You could say the righteousness of God is the faithfulness of God disclosed in the Son of God for us and our salvation. This is good news. It tells us the work we need to do each day is believe the gospel, that the only obligation of the gospel is to live in it and to sing with the old hymn, Jesus Christ, my righteousness, my justification. He justifies me. He justifies my life. So I don't have to. Jesus plus nothing. See you next week.